What's a band you discovered recently? Okay. I know who I'm going to talk about. There, it's a one person, but they go under a name. U.S. Girls. Okay, you sent me the Fun yesterday. fact, do not type that in Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> she purposely had to change her name on Instagram, is what I've come to learn. Valid. <laughs> At least that's what I assume. Also interesting, she's from Toronto. So why is her name U.S. Girls? I don't know. But she's like experimental pop. Not like poppy experimental pop. Usually I bring you more heavier stuff. This is like a really... She has a really cool retro sound. Mm -hmm. Like the one I sent you for American Dollars. Yeah, I listened to it. Motown 70s vibe. And the rest of her songs like have this nostalgic like... He's just shoving his face in your couch cushions. Brody, what are you doing? But it just has this nostalgic sound to it. Yeah. And I can appreciate that. So that's who I've been listening to lately. I'm going to have to go with Felix Hagen and the family. Oh, yeah. I Spotify literally just served one of his songs up. That was one you played in the car, right? Yeah. In my daily mix or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like if Panic at the Disco and queen and the stones had a baby yeah you'd get felix hagen and the family it's very theatrical rock music mm-hmm. i am a fan i have listened to the whole album several times and it takes a lot for me to listen to a whole album that spotify yeah. serves me up you gotta give me like there's a process i go on with spotify before i like click the follow button yeah I first listen to the song that shows up either in my new daily mix from Spotify or sometimes I'll choose like an artist and I'll start a radio because I want to hear similar sounds. So once I find that first song, I then go through their top five. Yep. If I like the top five, then I choose an album. Yep. And then you get a like. He only has one album. So that process was shortened. Yeah, that's nice. But yeah, check, check him out. All right. On that note, I'm Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. All right. It's been exactly five minutes since we wrapped up our last episode. As we told you two weeks ago. Yes. So if you're binging, it's probably only been five minutes for you too. But yeah, (laughs) if you're listening live, it's probably been two weeks. Um, last episode was long. This episode is going to be long and this episode is going to be different because I've wanted to do this since day one and it's time. I had a lot of free time last it's week time because I was unemployed for a week. Yeah. So I did all this research that I've been putting off for a year. Uh, today we're talking about something that we could not have rock music without. And that is the electric guitar mm-hmm. and the rivalry that exists within the electric guitar world. So in life, we can split a lot of things into two categories, like two types of people. You got Harley people and Honda people in the motorcycle world. Mm -hmm. You got Coke people and Pepsi people. Mm -hmm. You got Chevy people and Ford people, but nothing divides musicians more than Fender people versus Gibson people. I can tell you were off for a week. Like you put some like, you were relaxing on the beach like, Hmm. Let me think of a metaphorical. I stole that from Business Wars. Oh come on! (laughs) (laughs) I am not that great. Um, Which is my next point of uh, pretty much all of this research came from the Wondery podcast series Business Wars, 
which I highly recommend anyway. Great podcast. Great podcast. They do so much research. Like I tried to do some outside research on my own and it's just, it's really hard to research this topic the way that they did. Yeah. But they have all kinds of series. They have like Sony versus Nintendo. Coke versus Pepsi. Um, recently listened to Serial Wars, which was weirdly fascinating. Oh, I listened to that one with, uh, it's like starts with Kellogg's. Post and Kellogg's. Yeah, Post and Kellogg's. Yeah, that's a good Cereal one. Cereal has a very strange history in this country. Yeah, um, that is true. Fun fact. Um, but so they have a six part series on Fender versus Gibson. It's actually a seven part series. We'll talk about why I didn't listen to episode seven here at the end. Um, but they do a, do a great job. So I took all seven episodes or six episodes condense them into this episode um so still go listen to it because they do a much better job than i'm gonna do and you'll get a lot more context but doing that research i paid a whole three dollars for the transcripts Mm. because it's really hard i'm not an auditory listen uh learner i have to either see it or like watch it in a documentary um and i thought oh that'll save me so much time it was like reading Mad Lib or Mad Gabs. It was gibberish because they were computer generated transcripts. So I'll give you some highlights at the end of what I had to decipher. Um, luckily, they had a little play button next to each paragraph so you could listen to the That's paragraph nice. and figure out what the hell they were saying. Um, also, disclaimer I'm going to try to not be biased, but I am a Fender girl. Mm so you know i'm a gibson person yes right? so but we have both this viewpoints. Is interesting. yeah we do have both viewpoints represented here all right now to the meat of this episode um so sorry if you were coming here expecting an artist this time but hopefully you'll learn something um so we're gonna start in the jazz era mm-hmm. believe it or not uh and at the end of the jazz area era era we're off to a great start here <laughs> people were trying out electric guitars they were not great like technology just wasn't there it's like yeah. it's like the late 30s early 40s is this the point where like in time like you're, where you can almost die by playing one because they weren't grounded correctly uh pretty much they would try they would basically they'd bring it out they'd try to play it in like a jazz club or a restaurant mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out the frequencies to play them on or how the pickups were supposed to work so they would just hum really bad or give really bad feedback in the sound systems um and so it would hurt the audience's ears like you you know what microphone feedback it's that and so they it's pretty much because at the time they were all hollow body they were trying to take an acoustic body slap some pickups on it and it just would not work no that's not gonna work um so they would they could maybe play it on stage mm-hmm. but they'd have to keep the volume really really low or you get the feedback problem and if you keep it really really low all the other music musicians or instruments are going to drown out your guitar sound so things were not looking great for the future of the electric guitar around this time a little known man called Les Paul little bit known you may you may not have heard of him it's fine <laughs> uh he invents a guitar that he calls the log the which log. is pretty much a two by four with some strings and a pickup and you plug it in and it makes music we're going to the mountains of tennessee with that pretty much he made it in his garage <laughs> um and he's like making the circuit to all the guitar companies trying to sell it 
Yeah. And to be fair, they're companies that have been making acoustic guitars for years and they're all like, you're insane. Yeah. We are electric guitars are never going to happen. That looks stupid. Please get out of here. Well, yeah, some strings on a two by four is probably not the, uh, it was a prototype. (laughs) He tried. Okay. Uh, but at this time, the most popular brand of guitar was Gibson. They were super traditional on how they made their guitars. They started back in the 1890s when Orville Gibson made mandolins Mm -hmm. in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo. And so, so he, it was just Orville making his mandolins and some dudes in suits came up to him and were like, this looks profitable. Can we buy your business? And he said, I am broke as hell. Please buy my business. And he lived happily ever after in a mansion somewhere. Probably not a mansion, probably just a normal sized house. He had a very cushy retirement. So the new owners of Gibson, I don't know who they were. They're not important to the story. They were like, hell yeah, it's the industrial revolution. We're going to make these in a factory. Mm -hmm. And so they do that. And they still say, I say a factory, but they were still very traditional in the way they did it. It was an assembly line format. Yeah. But like they were still handmade with love and care. Quote, handmade. Yes. It was, it was 1937-ish, so they were still pretty handmade. Mm-hmm. They released their first hollow body electric in 1937. It's the ES-150. And jazz musicians love it, but it has the feedback issue. Like, yeah. It does not sound great when it's loud. So then a lo- something happens in the 1940s of World War II. Yeah. And factories, pretty much every factory in the country, no matter what you're making, you have to change gears. Right. Um, they reconfigured everything in the Gibson factory to support the war effort. So that's cool. Um, but they weren't making guitars. So at the same time, Les Paul is quickly becoming one of the most famous guitar players in the world. Um, probably, arguably, the first famous guitar player. Like mm-hmm. before him, no one was known as like a guitar player uh after the war he settles in la where he becomes a studio musician and he's played on so many studio recordings like we can go into him at another time Mm -hmm. he has an insane career yeah um but his like truest love i guess was creating his own guitars which i don't even know how he began to do that yeah he did that's impressive um, so pretty much his his guitar, his entire garage was dedicated to his musical instrument building hobby. And it was so soundproofed that you had to climb in and out through the window. <laughs> when you said, though, like, and this man started a hobby in his garage, I was like, tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> this is where men start things. Um, and he obviously had a lot of musician friends because... Yeah. He is who he is. Right. And he would just have these jam parties where he'd just invite a bunch of dudes to the garage and they'd just... Tail as old as time. Hang Leah. out. <laughs> um, so one night he invites this dude named Leo Fender oh. to come hang out. And Leo Fender at the time, he was not in the musical instrument business. He was in PA systems. Okay. They called him the sound wizard. <laughs> Because he was so good at setting up these systems for musicians and for venues. Yeah. And uh, that night, Les Paul pulls out the log. 
<laughs> and he's still on this. He's like, he's got some. They're like, Les, stop trying to make the log happen. And he's like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's exactly how that went down. Um, and so he pulls it out and Leo starts looking at it and he's like, what is this? And Les said, it's the world's first solid bodied electric guitar. And he gives it to Leo to play, but Leo doesn't know how to play a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and so Les Paul just, you know, lets off a few casual guitar riffs. Um, at the time, it's worth noting that Fender really wasn't known for hanging out with musicians a lot. Mm -hmm. Like he stayed in his little technical world of PA systems right. and didn't really venture out of it. But he had only started hanging out a few years prior because he developed an obsession with the Hawaiian steel guitar. That's a nice instrument. Yeah. Which is a very interesting guitar because it lays in your lap. Yeah. It's, it's like horizontal. Um, and that's what got him into tinkering with building uh, instruments is he would do custom Hawaiian guitar orders. Hmm. So Hot market for it in the 50s. Yeah. I don't really know who he was selling those to in L.A., but... Yeah. Good for him. So after this party at Les Paul's house, Leo goes back to his, his Hawaiian steel guitar crew and is like, what do you, what do you think we should, uh, he's like, do you think we could build a Spanish style guitar with a solid body? Ooh. And his crew was like, what? Cause that had never been done. Yeah. You had an acoustic guitar and that was it. And maybe a mandolin. Um, but Fender can't play guitar, let us not forget. And that's what gives him his biggest advantage. He is a tech guy. He's not a guitar guy. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have the preconceived notion that Les Paul has of what a guitar should sound like. That's interesting. Yes. So he starts from this clean slate, like mm -hmm. square, literal square one, maybe in square zero, mm -hmm. of building a guitar from the ground up. Um, but he also just starts hanging out with Les Paul a lot to like mm -hmm. pick his brain, which valid. If you don't play guitar, yeah, find someone who, you know, is the best guitar player you could possibly talk to. Right. Um, so in 1948, Leo Fender, Les Paul, and a guy with the last name of Bigsby, whose first name I did not catch and was not important, mm -hmm. are hanging out. And Bigsby lets it drop that he made the first solid body electric guitar. Uh. Oh. And he has sold it to Merle Travis as a custom design. Did he name it the wood? I don't know what he named it. I don't think it was important. Yeah. Because you'll see it doesn't make it very far. So Leo Fender decides, I got to go see this guitar because he beat me to my design. Yeah. And he catches Travis at a local bar and watches him. And he's like shook. He mm -hmm. cannot believe the sounds coming out of this guitar because it... It kind of has the, the sound of an acoustic, like the warm tones. Yeah. But it's bright and I don't want to say tinny, but bright sounding like the Hawaiian guitar that he really loves. So after the show, he like goes up to uh, Travis and was like, hey, can I borrow that guitar? And Travis is like, sure, bud. Here you go. And so he takes it home to study it. Oh, bad idea. Bad idea. And it takes a year of trial and error but he's able to replicate a design that works. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was an exact ripoff. I'm sure that would have been a lawsuit if it was. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a Fender original design. 
it's plain, but it's sturdy. It's inexpensive to make. It sounds like a Hawaiian steel guitar. And so in the fall of 1949, they sound test it on a stage with a band and everyone loves it. The crowd is, you know, fascinated as they always have been mm-hmm. with electric guitar. Um, but there's there's a little problem of how are they going to mass produce it? And how are they going to make sure they do it before anybody else does? Right. Let's pause uh, in the story of Fender and hop over to our friends at Gibson. So meanwhile, in, in 1948, Fender's losing $1 million Ooh, no. in our money, uh, $100,000 in then money a month due to a month a month so a hundred thousand dollars which would today be a million a month because they remember they converted their whole factory to do worship they never converted back they've been operating at like uh about half capacity why didn't they switch back (sighs) there was if gibson as you'll see has a really long history of bad management Okay. Um, and I, I meant to throw this disclaimer in the beginning. This is a very businessy episode, so mm-hmm. apologies if that's not your thing, but hopefully you still find it interesting. Um, Gibson has had terrible management, and basically the foreman at the time on the f- factory floor knew they were operating at half capacity. He knew that for three years, because the war ended three years ago. Yeah. But basically he just kept shifting the blame elsewhere he's like i can't get the funds to reset the factory because front whoever signs the bills needs an itemized list of everything i need and i just don't have the time to accumulate it i'm like Mm -hmm. if you're losing a million dollars a day i feel like you should find the time to make that absolutely um so the current owner of gibson his name is mh berlin he hires a guy named ted mccurdy to take over the factory and make it profitable and Ted McCurdy is like, I don't necessarily want to do this because you guys seem like you're a shit show. Yeah. But I'll give you a year. And uh, they kind of agree. Berlin and McCurdy kind of say, OK, we'll do this one year trial. If you're successful, we're going to name you, McCurdy, president of the company. Well, everything worked out because in 1949, McCurdy is successful and takes Gibson to its most profitable year in history so far. So now... We have two companies who can make solid body electric guitars. But there's a problem. No one knows the electric guitar exists yet. Or what to do with it. This is like FBI shit. Yes. This is this is <laughs> top secret shit. Yes. They've been making these in secret. Like, there's people who know, but people in the middle of nowhere in Kansas don't know what an electric guitar is at this point. Yeah. So they need to figure out how... To convince the world that they need an electric guitar. So enter the National Association of Music Merchants Conference. Wow. Henceforth known as NAM. Because that's a lot to say. So at NAM in I think it's I think it takes place in Nashville every year. Mm, probably. It sounds like the right place. Yeah. Good location for it. So in nineteen fifty, Fender and Gibson go to NAM. Not Vietnam. <laughs> Nam, no, Nam. <laughs> Nam. Mm, Nam. Nam. <laughs> uh, so Fender has this nice looking, you know, kind of attractive, smooth talking salesman. Yeah. And they have this brand new shiny guitar, which they've named the Esquire. It is a simple pine plank 
carved with the necessary stuff attached to it. It is no frills. These are coming out in a time that acoustic guitars are like really pushing the artisan factor. Yeah. Like everyone has a plain, plain Jane acoustic guitar, but the fancier your acoustic guitar is like the cooler it is, you know, Mm -hmm. they're hoping that the Esquire will stand out because it's simple. It's not overcomplicated. It's just, it's basically the log, but prettier. Mm -hmm. And the Esquire becomes the talk of the trade show because the rival salesmen are making fun of it. And oh I, no! And I wrote in parentheses because you know that's how men work. <laughs> Can't beat them, laugh at them. <laughs> but even though they're making fun of it, they're all coming up to the Fender booth. That's right. And taking notes on how to replicate it. Uh huh. So, like I said, no one had ever seen a solid body electric guitar. They've seen the ones that like make the horrible banshee noises. Mm-hmm. Um. And they have a guitarist standing at the booth playing the guitar and everyone falls in love with the sound. Gibson's new president, Ted McCurdy, stops by the booth and he is not thrilled with the Esquire because they've been trying to get there. Yeah. And they're not quite there yet, but he sees the potential for it. So as will become his theme, he puts together a research and development team to try to recreate one for Gibson. But back at Fender, they've just had this really successful conference and they're trying to make as many Esquires as they can to mm-hmm. sell. And so, I don't know, there's some factory stuff that happens. It's not important. They figure out how to mass produce them. People do start buying the Esquires, but there's one small problem. The necks on them keep bending. That's, you know, that's an issue if you play a guitar. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> you know, that's not really something you want. Um, so at the time, the neck and the neck didn't go all the way through the body of the guitar. It mm-hmm. was just kind of like stuck on the top. So there's nothing really holding it on. So as the strings pulled, it would kind of just oh no curve. Yeah. And so they say, uh, yeah, we should fix that. And they make a new design. And it's different from the Esquire, so it needs a new name. It's the name of the Broadcaster. We're getting close. So We're getting close. The only problem is that Gretsch, who also makes guitars, they make beautiful guitars, by the way, mm-hmm. they call one of their drum kits the Broadcaster. Can't go with it. So you got to get a lawyer involved. There's a court case. Yeah. Someone sues somebody. And it ends up with the fender plant having to say the word broadcaster off all the headstocks <laughs> on all the guitars. This is why you research before you put things on. To be fair, it was a lot harder in 1951. That's true. But they got to rename it. And they're like sitting there scratching their heads. I picture this as a very Mad Men-esque scene, right? Yeah. There's a bunch of dudes in suits. Cigarettes. Cigarettes. Sitting around a table. There's probably some scotch on the table. Oh, yeah. And they're just like what are we going to rename this thing? Like we have like two days to decide. We need to decide tonight. And someone's like, well, how are we going to tell the world about this new guitar? And someone says, well, obviously on the television. And then they call it the Telecaster. There it is. There it is. But who are they going to have promote it? We don't know. Leo remembers that he met this guy named Les Paul. Mm-hmm. So he goes and knocks on Les, Led, on Les's <laughs> door and is like, hey, if you agree to promote this on the TV, we'll make you your own signature Fender guitar. 
That's a good deal. If you know anything about guitars, you're going to you're going to know this deal didn't happen. Yeah. Because Les Paul was pretty, pretty loyal to Gibson at the time. Like he kind of almost exclusively played when he wasn't playing his own homemade guitars. Yeah. His log. He was playing Gibson and he loved Gibson and loved everything they're doing. So he gets in his car and goes and knocks on McCurdy's door. Is it McCurdy or McCarthy? Why does it change how within my notes? Hold on. It's McCarthy. McCarty. I was wrong on both accounts. Les Paul gets in his car. He goes and knocks on McCarty's door and is like, mm-hmm. can I make a signature Gibson model? Because Fender gave me this offer and I'd rather do it with you guys. And they're like, sure. So yeah. Paul designs it. I'm going to put that in quotes because really McCarty designs it. Mm-hmm. It's based off the log. And Paul just picks the colors that it comes in. So, <laughs> so I hate to break it to y'all, but Les Paul did not design Man. the original Les Paul. That actually kind of annoys me, like, because I like the styling of a Les Paul more than a, you know, Stratocaster, but that's kind of the point. That's what Business Force said. All right. Les Paul is dead, unfortunately, so we can't ask him. Uh, so the following year, they all go back to Nam in 1952. Nam. Nam. And Fender's all excited because they're about to debut their precision bass. And they're thinking, oh yeah, hell yeah. Everyone's gonna be excited about this precision bass. Yeah. Like we we did this and everyone goes to the Gibson booth instead because they got the Les Paul. So uh, yeah. Um and the Les Paul gets a lot of fans really immediately because it has a richer, warmer tone than the Telecaster. Mm. And it comes in this fancy gold finish. Which makes it look super fancy compared to the Telecaster. Yeah. Um, and Leo's mad about it. Not that Gibson made their own solid body electric because that was going to happen eventually. Yeah. But that Les stabbed him in the back and went to work with Gibson because he extended him the offer first. I mean, what do you expect? He vented the log. It didn't go anywhere. He had to go make money. He was a loyalist. Uh, so things kind of just... You know, they they go back and forth for a couple of years. This is 1952. But things change. In 1957, our friend Buddy Holly debuts on the Ed Sullivan Show in front of millions of Americans. We've already established in a past episode that he looks like a nerd. Yeah. He's got these, like, dorky glasses and, like, a business suit on. But he's playing something that America has never seen before. The Love of My Life, a Fender Stratocaster. And this is crazy to me. That's where it made its debut. That is how they were. Okay. This is, I mean, it's a marketing podcast, uh, Business Wars, but the tales of Gibson and Fender is a marketing war. It's not a music war. Yeah. It is a marketing war. Right. Some genius person had the idea to debut it with That's Buddy so Holly, nuts. two things that would simultaneously explode. Yeah, like today we would we have product placement, right? Yeah, and that's nothing new under the sun. But that, like, that invented it was being invented right there, probably right then and there. I would I would bet it was one of the it was definitely one of the first product placements. I mean, it's not like a commercial, like it, it's not an advertisement in the middle of these like Mm-mm. you know shows they had. This is like. Hey, you never seen this before. I'm just going to play it. It's like Kanye showing up with some Yeezys. Yeah. 
at exactly. a red carpet. Like that's a that's that's the level of cultural impact that this has. Right. Um, and so a Stratocaster, if you don't know what it looks like, it's a polished two tone wood with like a surf kind of looks like a surfboard. Mm hmm. Uh, it has two little horns that stick out on the side of its neck, uh, inspired by the tail fins of a Cadillac. And it sounds different from the Telecaster and the Last Paul. It's got a much more bright and sparkly sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely different than the Telecasters that were being used. In Telecasters ultimately wound up being more of a country guitar yeah. than a rock and roll guitar. So this is Fender's direct answer to the Last Paul. And... They named it the Stratocaster because it, they wanted it to go out of this world. Yeah. And I wish I was making that pun up, but that is a serious thing that they did. Man, <laughs> I wish it had a better way of being named. But it did the business great because in 1955, Fender's sales topped $1 million. Oh, they're, yeah, they're doing fine. For the first time in their history, which that's in 1955 money. Today, that'd be $10 million. Wow. Holy so cow. They're doing good. But the interesting thing is that Gibson doesn't need to release a response to the strap because they're still the big guy in the ring. Mm -hmm. Let us not forget that Gibson has existed for a very long time. They sell lots of different instruments. They sell banjos, mandolins, drum kits. Mm -hmm. Like they're in it for everything. Fender's just selling Telecasters and Stratocasters. That is it. But our buddy uh, McCarty, he's starting to get a little worried here. Because, and this is what I really love about McCarty, is he may be the president of a multi-million dollar company, but he goes into a music store just to see what's happening. I like those. And the kids those are CEOs. all playing with strats. They're all trying to replicate like these Buddy Holly riffs, these yeah. Beatles riffs on strats. Which we learned from the Buddy Holly episode. It's very hard to replicate yes. Buddy Holly riffs. But all these riffs that he hears these kids playing were recorded on Gibson's. So he's a little angry. Yeah. Um, but when he tries to tell the kids this, they just stare at him and they're like, dude, what the hell? Go away. I don't yeah. know you. Um, so because the Strat was the new shiny toy on the block, it made sense to the kids that these songs were played on something that looked like a spaceship. Mm -hmm. So Gibson guitars slowly start to fade. Yeah. Um, sales are not doing great. And so McCarty gets a very bad idea. He decides that Fender's thing up to this point has always been the tone. Like, that's what makes a Les Paul their number one selling instrument, right? Yeah. So he decides to compete on aesthetics and sets up his R&D team to create a guitar that would rival the Strat. So they come up with three designs that looked space age. Because let us not forget, this is right as the yeah. space race is starting. Right. And they wound up producing two... And those two are called the Modern Mystic Line, which I hate. And they do not do great. One of the models is the Flying V. Oh, yeah. Which, this is 1957. We're a little early for We're a little early for that shape. That's not coming up till the 80s. Yeah. Um, but, but we'll come back to the Flying V. Don't worry. Um, and the other one is the Explorer, which we'll have to throw a photo in. It is the ugliest guitar hold on i gotta show you because it is i really hate this body style it was also well these will come back in the 80s as well oh yeah but like 
Can you imagine seeing that in a shop in 1957? You just be yeah, like, yeah, you wouldn't understand it then. It, it's not. It's time no. for those to come out. So props to the R and D department for making something cool. They were just 30 years too early. Yeah. Um. So in 1958, Fender releases the Jazz Master, which is a problem because obviously that is made for a jazz musician. Yeah. Up until now. Gibson's had all the jazz customers. Yeah, that's going to be an issue. So now Fender's sweetened the pot and they're out to steal them. So in 1960, Gibson's like, shit, we're falling out of style. We need to do something big. So they just redesigned the Les Paul and don't tell Les Paul. Hmm. So. That's nice. Bad idea number two. Is Les Paul like not really that involved as I thought he was? No, I think it's kind of like like a sports sponsorship where they just bring them in to shoot the commercial. Yeah. I think when he asked McCarty to do the deal of making a custom guitar, he thought he's going to be a lot more involved because that's yeah. his passion is making these cool guitars. But Gibson, Not just, really. Yeah. Gibson huh. just wants to make money. Yeah. Uh, so they bring Les in for a promo shoot and he's like, what the hell is this thing? This is not my guitar. Because he did have he did have an input in the shape of yeah of the original, and so he gets mad, um, and he gets so mad that he lets the contract with Gibson expire, and so they end up naming this new ugly thing the Gibson SG, and they can't even put the Les Paul name on it because he wow. wouldn't agree to it. Yeah, so that's not the only one of Paul's problems at this at this time he's kind of falling out of style because no one wants to listen to jazz in 1960 mm -hmm. we got drugs that we're about to play with oh that's about to bring a whole new sound to the guitar yeah the beatles have kind of just hit america um but something big is about to happen for gibson and this is where the stories get fun and i i got to this point in the research like this the episode that that just wrapped up and i was like is this interesting Maybe no one else is going to find this interesting. And then I get to this part and I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so that same year as like Les Paul's life is falling apart, Gibson's like, what the hell are we doing? Um, in London, it's 1960. A 20-year-old kid is browsing for a new guitar and he sees this like slightly beat up one on the wall and he's like, yeah. can I play that? And the music guy lets him and he ends up buying it and... Um, Keith Richards walks out with his brand new 1950 huh? Les Paul. Huh? No, not brand new. It was used, but I shouldn't have taken a sip of cider. <laughs> mm, okay. So it's vintage, vintage at that point because it's it's ten years old. He's a little baby. He's a little 20, baby. Twenty baby Keith Richards. Baby Keith Richards, and um, yeah, he's about to change the shape of rock music forever. Damn. Uh, so by 1964, things are booming. We're the height. Yeah. The height of rock and roll. Um, Fender's headquarters are in Fullerton, California. They started in these two tiny... I, I picture them as sheds in my head. They're probably a little bigger. They describe them as metal workshops. Yeah. But they're like these tiny little buildings. Uh, now they have 27 buildings. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> covering three and a half acres. Um, but Leo Fender's starting to go a little crazy. Mm -hmm. He was a little too attached to his business and did not do well with the business growing fast. He would like hang out on the factory floor dressed as a janitor 
and watch the people work. Like undercover boss style we're yeah. talking here? Really, it was the first undercover boss, but not with the goal of having the boss like see how they're he's more spying yeah he's more spying and like he would you know ask a dude like why are you doing it that way and the guy's like oh it's faster and he's like you don't know what you're talking about and he'd be getting into fights with people on the floor and it just it didn't go good yeah um but it's not like a character flaw he's not doing it because he wants the business to get bigger and be better he's doing it because he just can't handle being successful yeah um he starts to skip meetings when he's in meetings he's like not there he's just staring off into space um and so his right hand guy i don't know what his title was he was like how about you sell your share of the company and leo's like you son of a bitch i'm in you son of a bitch i'm in (laughs) and so they ended up selling it to cbs um columbia broadcasting systems for 13 million dollars which is 140 million a day which to me doesn't seem like a great deal but i think for then money yeah that's pretty good in today's money i feel like it would sell for a billion but yeah they're not making the billion dollar deals like mm-hmm. they were making which and to be fair today it wasn't the whole company it was the majority of the company so maybe that's where it came in um and it kind of marks the end of an era at fender because leo fender is no longer there um but it's a bad time to leave because it's 1964 yeah we haven't we haven't even touched to what rock's gonna do yet so buckle up 1965 bob dylan's playing at newport festival in rhode island and this festival is interesting because it's a folk festival it's not a rock festival Mm -hmm. and its history is known it's you know a couple years old it's known for politically charged folk songs that's what people get up there and sing but something about this performance bob dylan does differently he gets up there with his red fender stratocaster and plays his songs on electric and the crowd just doesn't know what to do first of all they're probably high as all get out but like this is the the beginning of the anti-war protest so you have these already emotionally charged songs that you can you know you can you can get by with on an acoustic yeah when you play them on electric yeah they take a whole new meaning i would have never thought about that yeah i didn't either <laughs> this, this is why we research this is why we do research um so this is the anti-vietnam era this is the era that people the beatles are experimenting with creating music with lsd and marijuana um, and the electric guitar evolves from more than just a musical instrument to a symbol of freedom, musical expression, anti-war protest. This is when Jimi Hendrix is playing Star Spangled Banner on electric yeah. and pissing the whole nation off. <laughs> um, except for those there. Yeah, except for those there. They were they were totally high. Um, at this point, meanwhile, in Gibson land, Les Paul is retired. Um, but... He's, you know, sitting there moping. He's like, no one cares about me anymore. I'm old and yeah. retired. Kids literally start hunting down his house and showing up at his doorstep. And oh, they're looking to buy a Les Paul guitar. They're coming to his house. To his house. To buy a guitar. But they're dumb and they don't realize that he doesn't make them himself. Like, yeah. <laughs> but why wouldn't you just go to a store? 
you can't buy them. They stopped making them. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that detail. So he's all like, why do you guys want these? Because at this point, they're 15 years out of date. Like, Yeah, that's true. And they all say, because Eric Clapton has one. <gasps> oh, this is interesting. Okay. So Les Paul, I picture him getting in his car going to record store to figure out who the hell Eric Clapton is. <laughs> Putting on his pants. Yes. Getting out the truck. There's like a little angry montage of him like slipping on yeah. his shoes and getting in his truck. Um, and so he buys an Eric Clapton record, goes back home and is like, how did he make a guitar sound like this? This is not how I played guitar in my day. But like, you know, he vibes with it. He's like, that's cool. Yeah. And he gets why the kids are so obsessed with the Les Paul sound coming out of his speaker. So at this point in history, we got Keith Richards, Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac, Jeff Beck of the Yardbirds, and Eric Clapton all playing Les Pauls, which means everybody wants one. Yeah. Which means they are impossible to find. Wow. Um, obviously, people are showing up at Les Paul's door trying yeah. to buy one. That's like showing up at like Bill Gates' house and the like, can I have a Windows PC, <laughs> can please? Can I have a PC? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, people? My name is Sean, and I'm the host of You're Not Listening, a podcast where we teach you how to actively listen to music one song at a time. Every episode, I sit down with my father, who was a mobile DJ for over 35 years, and we each bring a song to the table and talk about what makes it great, why you should listen to it, and why you should appreciate it through detailed analysis of the words and music, some personal stories that we might have with that, and hopefully will help you change your mind and get you listening to music in a little bit different way so you get a little bit more out of it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. If you love music and you want to figure out how you can love it even more, maybe even learn how to appreciate a song that you think you hate, it's You're Not Listening, a music podcast. Check it out. Thanks, everyone. So in 1966, Les Paul shows up at the house of W.H. Berlin, the owner of Gibson, yeah. and pretty much begs him to start making Les Pauls again. And W.H. Berlin is like, the time's passed for that. Yeah. Um, so it takes a year, but Les Paul eventually convinces him to put them back into production. So in June 1968, the revamped Les Paul makes its debut at, where else, Nam. Yeah. Meanwhile... Fender is still making Stratocasters because they never stopped being popular. Right. Which are only made even more popular by Jimi Hendrix and Pete Townsend. Yeah. Which, to be fair, Pete Townsend made them popular by smashing them, but... Uh, you, hey. know, they're, they're, you know, you can just buy another one at that point. If he smashed a Les Paul, but in a very different story. Yes. Um, but when Leo Fender found out what Pete Townsend was doing... He was very offended by it. Oh, yeah. But he's also just floating around on his retirement yacht, so he's not too offended. Yeah. <laughs> he's fine. Uh, but there's a problem. There's problems all throughout this whole story, as you can tell. The factory at Fender is starting to sacrifice quality now because CBS is in charge. They want to make more instruments over making quality instruments. Yeah. Because they just care about monies. So the sales continue to climb... They're not really threatened by the Les Paul reissue directly. Obviously, it's a competition, but like, it's not like in the beginning days where it was going to make or break the company. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, I keep saying meanwhile, all this is happening all at one time. Back at Gibson, W.H. Berlin is about to retire. So he spends a couple years training his son, whose name is Arnie. <laughs> 
the look you just gave with that arnie arnie berlin uh, okay yeah okay yeah to take his place um but arnie says this worked for fender let's sell the company so he sells it to ecl which stands for ecuadorian company limited but it's actually a british company hmm okay i don't understand um they changed the name to norlin for a little bit for the whole company obviously they've undid that it only lasted for like four years yeah it was not a good time for gibson uh ecl comes in they start cheapening the materials they cut corners they say no one will ever know the difference yeah they'll know (laughs) sir have you met a musician yeah dude (laughs) have you ever met a guitarist who's been playing for 30 years and the first thing they do is just pick it up bend it backwards and look at the neck and make sure it's aligned (laughs) yeah these guys are serious yeah so they start putting um so basically if you don't know how a guitar is made Usually the body is one piece. Uh, they start like stacking thin layers of wood and gluing them together right. and cutting out the body. Um, they start using laminate necks instead of hardwood. So they bend uh, and they use quieter pickups, which is not what you want in an electric no. guitar. And so people return them and no one really wants a Strat either because they also suck because yeah. CBS is doing the same thing at Fender. So it's 1979 and people are searching out 50s model guitars to play. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so now we're now we're 30 years. That's why these guitars are getting picked up. Yep. So, Leo couldn't handle retirement, and around this time, he makes a new company that basically just makes knockoff Stratocasters, <laughs> but with better hardware because CBS oh. is doing a shit job. Um, but he's very careful to not like tread on fender's turf right not get too big because what he hated about the first company he started was it got too big yeah um so it's called gnl okay he he's just chilling there for the next couple years we'll come back to him but by 1985 things are bad i mean it is a it was a a recession around then That's, that's the reagan era so fender and gibson are both doing terrible no thanks to CBS or FCL or whatever the yeah. hell they're called. Um, and guitars kind of aren't cool anymore. You want to guess what took over? Synthesizer. Yep. Hello, Moog. The Moog. <laughs> the Moog is back. The Moog is here. Um, so CBS does what ultimately ends up being a super good decision, and they sell Fender to the employees. So it becomes oh, an smart. employee-owned company. Which the people who work there are like, finally, get these people out of here. We yeah. hate them. Um, and they end up moving from Fullerton to Corona, California, which is just wah, wah. ironic now. Uh, which is, <laughs> I ordered a guitar. I'll talk about this later. But when it shipped from Corona, California in <laughs> April, I was like, mm, that's rough. <laughs> um, at, around the same time, interestingly enough, Gibson moves their factory from Kalamazoo to Nashville. That's a good location for it. So Norlin, which is still known as Norlin, gets put up for sale and gets bought by three Harvard business grads hmm. for the lowly sum of $6 million, hmm. which would be $30 million a day, which if you remember, that's equivalent to less than what Fender got sold for. Yeah. Um, so Henry Juskowitz, which is the best last name, <laughs> you're going to have to say it a million other times. 
he kind of becomes the, the head of the three that bought it. And he does something that no one has ever done and goes and listens to the employees who are making the guitars. No. Mind blowing. What? Who would have thought? So he, he kind of revamps the whole production process. They start using quality materials. So they yeah. stop breaking. Um, and Juskowitz is a good guy for the most part. At the 1987 NAM, uh, Fender releases a newly revamped Stratocaster because they're recovering from their own shit show. Yeah. Which they call the American Standard Stratocaster. It looks like the original, but it has a one-piece maple neck. Um, I don't remember what it was made of before. A reverse polarity middle pickup to reduce the hum and a fully redesigned tremolo arm. Mm -hmm. It's 1987. What is popular at the time? Heavy metal, mm -hmm. such as Def Leppard, Van Halen, and Judas Priest. So at the time, in the 80s, Fender is focusing on just making a quality guitar, which is what everyone should really aim for all the time. Yeah. But the other brands, really just Gibson and like the other little guys, they're making these bright, showy guitars because it's the 80s. Yeah, right. The time has finally arrived for the Flying V. <laughs> Your moment has come. It took 30 years, but people start searching them out. I mean, you see that guitar and you think 80s. You don't think 50s. Yeah, not at all. Um, Fender, it's very tempting for them to buy into this hype and make these showy, trendy pieces. Mm -hmm. But they know that musicians just want a guitar that plays well. Yeah. And that will age well. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, the Strat's hitting about to hit 40 right it's doing pretty good um and these bands like van halen and def leppard they're playing these really flashy crazy guitars on stage but they're recording with vintage strats and telecasters that's interesting um not even vintage lps at this at the rls pauls at this point they're they're using the vintage stuff um and the plan to just stick to their guns and do what they're known for and make a guitar works because soon that new factory is having to work round the clock to keep up with the demands. Mm -hmm. Over at Gibson, they're concerned because the boomers who've grown up idolizing Clapton are now hitting, you know, middle age and they have money. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to live their childhood dreams. Right. And be Eric Clapton. That's right. So they, they aim for the nostalgia factor. So Juskowitz goes to visit El that goes to visit Les Paul, who's about to turn 72. Wow. What year is this again? This is uh, about 87. Okay. Um, and he asks if Gibbs can, Gibson can throw him a birthday party to honor him and all that he's done for the company over the oh, years. Oh, that's nice. Which is better than anybody else that Gibson ever treated that man. Yeah. I like Henry Juskowitz. Les Paul said he would rather be honored by fixing everything wrong with Les Paul. <laughs> but they end up doing both. Um, they throw him a party and uh, I would like to be at this party because the guest list includes everyone from Jimmy Page to Jeff Beck. Pretty much anyone who's known for playing yeah. Gibson was there. At the party, Juskowitz gifts Les Paul with a reissued 59 style which sparks an impromptu jam sessions with all the guitarists oh, in the room. Oh, yeah. That would have been a fun party. Especially Jimmy Page. Um, this gets a new endorsement not only from Les Paul, but from Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck, too. Sales surge 
mm-hmm. obviously they're super hot at the time um and they put all three of them on a cover of an issue of rolling stone with the headline saint paul oh i love it however because nothing can be nice in guitar land for very no. long two months later guitar player magazine which obviously is a more guitar focused audience than rolling stone right has this bright, cheery, cherry red Stratocaster on the cover with the headline Stratmania. And this is problematic because the Stratocaster in that issue is named as the guitar of the decade. Uh-oh. Um, but not because the Strat is known for its quality. They name it that because it's the most well-known guitar at the time. Yeah. Um, pretty much every company in the world that makes guitars has a knockoff Stratocaster. Yeah. Which I think is still true now. Like when I was guitar shopping, everyone makes a Strat style body. Yeah. No one really has ripped off the Les Paul body, but everyone makes a Strat. Um, they actually get a specific name called, the knockoffs are called a Super Strat or a Strat-like object, <laughs> an SLO. <laughs> By 1981, Fender has filed over 30 different trademark claims for Holy other companies. Cow. But weirdly, none of the imitations ever hurt sales for Fender. They kind of helped them because they'd buy the shitty off-brand. Right. And they'd be like, I mean, this is okay. I'm thinking of a first act Walmart guitar. That's what I'm thinking of right now. Yep. Just classic black and white colors. It's like 60 bucks. 60 bucks. It's a great starter, but ultimately you're going to want the real thing once you know what you're doing. Um, In 1991, Leo Fender passes away from Parkinson complications. Oh, that's sad. Um, he's been out there for however long that was running GNL. Mm-hmm. Um, but his designs for GNL were so close to Stratocaster that the powers that be at Fender think that they should sue GNL, which seems like a really dick move after the yeah. dude just died. Yeah. But they were worried that if someone else bought it and the guitar still said Leo Fender on them, that they'd be brand confusion and, whatever um a big company ends up buying gnl and they agree to take fender's name off the guitars at the same time this is a really cool tidbit fender launches their custom guitar shop oh nice so up until now fender had let if you were famous if you were you know Jimi hendrix you right. customize your guitar any way you wanted um but fender decides to open up this possibility to the public like mm-hmm. anyone who has you know cold hard cash can make a custom fender they do cost over ten thousand dollars but if you got the money you got the money right um and this does incredibly well for them by 1994 they have a team of 10 master builders they're just sounds like legos <laughs> <laughs> master builders. master builders uh, their job is solely to make customs. Yeah. And they're making about a, a thousand custom guitars a year, which seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, and then one day, the team gets a really weird request and they they do like a recreation of it in Business Wars where the one guy's making it and another guy's like, hey, how old is that guitar? Because it looks really beat up. It's this like beat up looking Telecaster. Yeah. And the guy said, this is actually a brand new one. I just pulled it off the line. It's a custom job. The guy wanted it beat up because the new ones look too dorky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this sparks the release of what they call the Relic line, 
which is new guitars made to look old. It's the early 90s. We were just You getting- know that people like the high schoolers, the rich high schoolers are like, yeah, you know, I got this at my dad's garage. No big deal. A hundred percent. That is the target audience for those guitars. Yes. Um, that's, that's the whole point of them. They're just new guitars made to look old. <laughs> at the same time, they launched the Signature Series, which is recreations of Jeff Beck's Jimi Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan's guitars, um, made to be as close of a replica as you could get. Yeah. So this gets Gibson scrambling in the late 90s. So they kind of rip them off and make Les Paul signature models based on Jimmy Page, Slash, and Bob Marley. So, you know, 90s, things are hopping. They're consistently breaking each other's sales records. So like, for example, in 1999, Fender reports sales at $200 million a year. A year later, Gibson reports sales of $250 million. And they kind of go back and forth like this for a long time. Yeah. So things kind of just, you know, move along happily through the early, late 90s. Yeah. 2004, Gibson has yet another terrible idea. They launch what they call a fully digital guitar. It has a built-in microprocessor and an Ethernet cable. What? Excuse me? And the point of this is the digital processor removes all distortion in each string. Why? You want the distortion. And, oh, so in each string has its own separate output. So it's like having a mini recording studio in your hands. I don't like it. No one else did either. They said it was an attempt to reinvent the guitar like Les Paul did, but people thought it was stupid. Yeah. Obviously, it did not do well, or we would, we would have them today. Right. It Yeah, no. Uh, in 2009, Les Paul dies at the age of 94. He actually almost died on stage. Like, he was about to go on stage. He didn't feel good. They had him cancel the show. Yeah. He went to the hospital, never came back out. Like, oh. he um, he had always said, like, he wanted to die doing what he loved, and... He did. He pretty much did, so... You know? He lived a great life. Um, but it's 2009 and we're in the middle of the recession. Yeah. And no one has money to buy a guitar. So. You know, all us millennials don't have the money. Well, we were, I was in, that was my junior year of high school. Yeah, that was my senior. <laughs> or sophomore Going year Going on the senior year. Yeah. Yeah. I was not buying a guitar at the time. No. No. In 2010, Gibson CEO Henry Duskowitz has a press conference, um, ironically, in the same Hard Rock Cafe where they threw that birthday party for Les Paul. Okay. And he walks in carrying a Gibson SG, which is one of the most iconic uh, Gibson guitars, which was made famous by ACDC's Angus Young. Mm-hmm. And he smashes it on a cinder block. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Beth Ann's face. Holy shit. And so he smashes it up, down and he holds up the Firebird 10 and says, this is the future. Oh, God. It has, That's aggressive. He did not learn his lesson from his previous failed robot guitar. Mm-hmm. It has Bluetooth built-in audio effects software. No. 55 preset tones. Rechargeable batteries. No. And even a feature called the robot that automatically tunes the guitar for you. No. That's not what we want. That's not what the people want. You are right. It did not do well at all. Um, 
So it turns out that at this time, Gibson realized they had extremely overspent. For years, they'd been buying up these little other musical instrument companies. Yeah, you think? And it did not... They cost a lot of money, so they try to make that money back up really fast by making shit like this. Yeah. At the same time, they already have one monstrosity. They put that automatic tuning robot on all of their models. No. They call it the G-Force automatic tuning system. (laughs) People hate it. Yeah. They, if cancel culture had existed in 2010, Gibson would have been canceled. Uh, so that leads to a series of events that cause Gibson to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2018. Oh. They come to light that they are over $500 million in debt. Holy shit. A bunch of articles come out at the time calling it the death of electric guitar. Um, but at Fender, some things are happening. Talk about in a second. That prove that the rumors of the guitar's death are greatly exaggerated. Which I like that line. I did not write that. So while Fender's bleeding money, doing whatever the hell they're doing, yeah, Fender appoints a new CEO, Andy Mooney, and Andy Mooney is my hero. So he got his start working at Disney. Good choice. And Nike. So he knows how marketing works. Yeah. And he comes on board, and his mind is blown because he realizes that no one at Fender knows who their target market is. Yeah, that's an issue. So he orders a customer study to be done. And this study finds that nearly 50% of all new guitar buyers are women. Interesting. And this is where it becomes a subject of relevance to this specific podcast. Because up to this point, no one has ever freaking marketed to women for playing guitar. Yeah. So Andy Mooney is our hero. He also finds that 90% of first-time guitar buyers quit playing after less than 12 months. Yeah. So not only is Fender out of touch with their customer base, they're doing nothing to hold on to the people who are buying their guitars. Right. So, rather than reinvent the guitar like Gibson, which does not need reinventing, the guitar is fine. Yeah. Andy takes it upon himself to reinvent how guitars are sold and marketed. They start offering online tutorials which is now known as fender play they showcase women musicians and their marketing materials excellent had never been done excellent and in 2018 while gibson's going bankrupt because they're in debt 500 million fender reported earnings of 500 million which is the best they had ever done since before the recession yeah so by 2019 which is when this business wars was made Gibson and Fender aren't really rivals anymore. They're seen as complementary forces in the music industry. Yeah. Most artists will play one for one song, one for another. It just depends on the sound they're going for. Yeah. So when this series wrapped up, things were different. We were not living in a pandemic world. Right. And so I started doing this research and I got really excited because at five, five days ago, this article came out about the 2020 pandemic and guitars. So this year, which it's only September 15th at the time of this recording, Fender has had its biggest sales year ever. How much? They don't, they haven't disclosed. Oh, they haven't disclosed the amount. Because we're not even through Q3. Like they haven't even had their Q3 earnings. So if they did 500 million. 
I knowing what I know, and I'll, I'm going to touch on that here in a minute. I'd say they might have a billion dollar year. Holy! And I say cow. that in all seriousness. So this article, uh, I'll share it when we post this stuff. I forget. It's in the Times, I think. Yeah, I saw you post. Yeah, it. I, I didn't shared read it because I wanted to be. Um, so they interviewed Andy Mooney, and he said. We've broken so many records. It'll be the biggest year of sales volume in Fender history. Holy Record crap. day is a double digit growth. E-commerce sales have exploded. All of our beginner gear has been selling. If you had asked me back in March, if I'd be here today, I would have said you're crazy. So how did this happen? So you may think back to March when we were all scrambling. What yeah. the hell are we going to do at home right. for the indefinite future? Um, Netflix binging wasn't cutting it after a couple of weeks. People started looking for a hobby. Um, and Fender, geniuses that they are, let people do a free trial of Fender Play for 90 days. That's smart. Traditionally, you've only ever got 30 days for your free trial. Right. And this is the most genius thing because it's long enough to like get in the habit to really learn the platform which i love this is not a sales pitch we are not sponsored by fender play i just love them and you need a guitar so like people the way that happened for me was i borrowed my brother's guitar i got three months in i was like oh hell i really like this right you buy a guitar fender could not keep anything on their website i got waitlisted four times before i could buy my strat wow because their factories just can't keep up right they are sold out. If, if you go look now, I guarantee you half the stuff sold out because crazy. they cannot keep it in. Um, so they interviewed Jensen Tranny, who is probably my favorite instructor in the app. And he said um, the majority of his, he does lessons for Fender Play and private lessons. Yeah. Majority of the students are, as he put it, female presenting people in their late 20s to early 30s mm-hmm. who are traditionally underrepresented in the guitar world. Um. Fender Play saw their user base shoot up in beginning of March before we all got sent home. 150,000 people use the app. Uh huh. By late June, 930,000. Wow. That's a huge jump. Yeah. And most of them were 20 to 30 year old women. Good for you. I mean, good for us. So good for us. This has confused the hell out of economists because guitars are what you call a discretionary purchase. Yeah. Which is not something you buy in a recession. See 20, 2009 recession. Right. <laughs> but as I wrote in here, millennials said, fuck that. Yeah. Listen, we've been screwed one too many times, folks. <laughs> we said, we're going to enjoy our quarantine in our recession. Yeah. Learning to play guitar. Um, so in a weird twist of fate, the pandemic may have saved Gibson from bankruptcy. Gibson? Gibson also is, I mean, you cannot buy a guitar right now. Yeah. Sweetwater online is sold out all the time. Gibson sold out. Like, you just can't buy a guitar. There's right. a guitar shortage now because everyone's just, they need a hobby. Can't wait for the boomers to blame this one on us. You know what, boomers? Millennials <laughs> saved guitars, so I don't want to hear it yeah. anymore. Damn, millennials, first they come and take our whatever culture and now they take our guitars so everyone had to close the factories in april specifically gibson because they did not have any money to begin with yeah um but when people started buying guitars in april 
they ended up reopening the guitars, relaunching the Epiphone. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, Epiphone. Epiphone yeah. line. Um, they, they didn't were, have the Epiphone line. For they a while? had kind of put it on pause because they had no money. Dang. But that's how I. Those are the guitars I had. Was Epiphone yeah, guitars? They're great beginner guitars. Right. Um, the Epiphone line for Gibson and the Squire line for Fender. Right. They ended up like revamping those. They re-released the original and modern lines under Gibson, and now neither factory can make guitars fast enough. Uh, so thank you, coronavirus, for giving us one positive, and that is yes. resurrecting electric guitars. Shout out to all the women out there learning to play electric guitar. Keep going. Keep going. It's hard. Your fingers hurt. I'm there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when Business Wars made their final episode last year, the, f- the seventh one in every series is like, what is the future of yeah. this thing? They like, do a Q&A. Yeah. yeah. So if you listen to the seventh one for guitars, it's way wrong because no one predicted this pandemic. Right. Um, but, you know, everyone's doing a little bit better financially than they had except they expected. So that's crazy. I'm curious. I am very curious, actually, to see how that impacts music in, say, 10 years. That's true. Quarantine music, I'm calling it now, will be a genre. Oh, it definitely will. I mean, Blink-182 has a quarantine song. (laughs) Which Which is two minutes. You got two minutes. Go listen to it. Please go listen to it. It is... I don't know how to describe it, actually. Just go listen to it. Um, But yeah, there is definitely going to be a genre of... Just musicians writing music in quarantine. But... 100%. Will it make rock come back mainstream with people learning... Like, there's more guitar players now than ever. Right. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. No, that's really true. Like, how is that going to change? Is there going to be different sounds in rock? Yeah. Because of this. Who knows? Because you can't just like meet up with people in your garage and jam right now. Yeah. No, exactly. So, I mean, TikTok is a wonderful, weird world. But there are musicians on there who are just making do with themselves. They're just overdubbing themselves. Yeah. And it's amazing so who knows what music will look like in the next couple years influenced by the pandemic yeah that's crazy but moral of the story is women save guitars you're welcome you're welcome all the men in garages yes our time has come so that is the that was really cool abbreviated history of fender and gibson it's a cool story hopefully you all like it it's not an artist, I'm sorry, but I think it's important to understand why the electric guitar is the way it is and how we got the Strat and the Les yeah. Paul. Anyway, what what are we drinking? We are drinking Blue Toad Cider, established in 2015, and it is the Patty Green Cider, so it's their Irish Cider, has notes of Granny Smith. But I picked it out because of the character on it. It's a blue toad, toad. <laughs> with a leprechaun hat and a pipe. He's just, look at him. Really? He's just he, sitting there. He's just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it because what I'm noticing as I'm getting older is I don't like sweet drinks as much as I used to when I was a kid. Ciders are just too sweet. Ciders can Period. be just overly sweet. And too bubbly. Yeah. And this is like perfect because it's more tart. Mm-hmm. I like it a little bit more on the tart, more refreshing side. And I don't feel like I'm going to like 
explode with the bubbles either. Yeah, exactly. They're from here, right? They're yeah, from Nelson. They're on the Nelson 151. Yeah. I stopped there because we went to Devil's Backbone. They're also in Rochester. Yeah, I saw that too. But yeah, we stopped by Devil's Backbone and they were packed. So and that like so we had to get on a waiting list. We just hopped over there. They're like right down the road and we just sat and drank. It nice. was nice. I'm a fan. I like this one. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. We're talking Apple. We're talking Google Play. We're talking Spotify. You also can leave us a review. What did you think? What's your favorite guitar? Fender? Are you a Les Paul Gibson person? Let us know in the comments. Special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You also can follow us on Twitter at She Will Rock, the letter U pod. You also can follow me at Beth Ann Tarpley or you can follow Leah at LeahElizabeth.J. If you want to send us an email old school style, we're down for it. You can email us at She Will Rock You Podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, don't do drugs, but play guitars. Don't do drugs. Also, I put in here some of the highlights from these transcriptions. If we want to put them in here. Yeah, put them so I can put them at the end. Okay, so. The S, its volume is superior to any other electric guitar on the market. Ass plenty loud, geez. (laughs) The pool will actively endorse Gibson's latest guitars and just quits can save Gibson from the scrappy. 99,000 again. That's a free print copy of The Economist, and all you have to do is text Business Wars. Series followed by Signature Scratch based on guitars. That's it.